I used to chase the ROI all the time, return on investment. And over the course of time, that has evolved into what I call return on life. Hello, everyone. This is Randy Dick here on the Return on Life podcast. Not just a podcast, but a podcast about getting a return on life. So often we chase the ROI, which we all know what that is. But what about the ROL? It could be return on luck but I've coined it Return on Life and uh, so happy to have an amazing guest today with me, Randall Miles, which um, if you've been in the investment world, you've probably heard about Randall Miles. If you've been in the movie business or watching something like <laughs> Billions, you've probably uh, recognized that Randall Miles is uh, in the credits. So I've got an amazing guest with me and Randall and I met uh, years ago through uh, a company that we're connected with, uh, EXP Realty. Randall is a board member of EXPI. And uh, so I've just uh, really appreciate Randall and uh, gotten to know him over the years, him and Karen, his wife, Karen. And so today we've got Randall with us. Welcome, Randall. Hey, thanks, Randy. It's a pleasure to be here. Mm. So maybe tell me a little bit about uh, what makes Randall tick on a day-to-day -day basis, just to get things started, and how does return on life fit maybe into that? You know, if I had the answer to what makes me or anybody else tick on a daily basis, then uh, I would have solved uh, a lot of other problems by now. I, you know, Randy, I, I, I consider myself extraordinarily fortunate. Um, uh, I have uh, been in the business world a long time. I've done a, a lot of different things in a lot of different places that has given me a breadth and depth of experience to um, leverage to help others, whether it's mentoring CEOs or mentoring young people or sitting on boards through transition and um, the ability to draw on that experience and give back. I don't do it for free, so I don't want to be to totally disingenuous here, right? But to give back and to help others in that process is, is what drives me and that what makes me tick. That's fun, uh, and sometimes the more difficult situation, the more uh, the more fun it is. That's what I like to do. So that's the result of having spent uh, a lot of years on Wall Street uh, with several firms running investment banking groups, uh, having been CEO of a couple of multi-billion-dollar global public and private equity-backed firms. Um, and most of what I do today is sit on the boards of public and private equity-backed firms. Uh, I still have my own firm, which is. Uh, transaction and strategic advisory on a on a global stealth basis. And, um, you know, so those are the things that are fun. That's what I enjoy doing. Well, you've got so many opportunities, I'm sure, that come to you at this point with all the success that you've had. How do you decide whether you should jump through that next window of opportunity, that next window of connecting, uh, being involved in something? What is your What is your test that you would put out? to yourself or ask yourself? You know, it, it's a great question because it's it's one that I'm kind of often asked given the fact that a lot of stuff lands on my desk. And I've kind of developed a view of that that I do share with others in the context of trying to, um, as you put it, a return on life, right? What is your return, whether it's return on investment, whether it's return on life, whatever your lifelong objective is or you're trying to achieve, you need to have some criteria associated with that. Um, and you need to have the discipline to say no, so that you don't overextend yourself. Uh, and therefore, you aren't being genuine to whomever you're working with, right? So for me, I think it's it's relatively simple. Um, 
the opportunity has to have legs, whatever that is. It has to mean something, whatever that may be in different contexts, right? Whether it's a commercial opportunity or, or something else. Um, I have to like and respect and believe in the people that are associated with it. Uh, I have to feel that the people associated with it are generally headed the same direction, call it in the same boat, rowing in the same direction, recognizing we're all going to get splashed and and the like and have to ford a river to. Can we argue constructively uh, for the purpose of trying to get it right? And the litmus test I apply to everything is trying to do the right thing the right way for the right reason. Uh, and um, want to know that we can have fun doing it. And, you know, ideally there's an opportunity, an opportunity to, uh, to deliver real value, to make a difference. That's a big part of it. And to, uh, and to earn something while doing it. You can say fun. Now is, is it about the experience? Is it about the money opportunity or do they have to both be involved for you to say, I'm going to dive into this? Well, you know, knock on wood, I've been fortunate enough in life that the money doesn't have to drive it. Um, I, I don't, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to work. I've, I'm, I'm fortunate to be very well situated because um, I've had some great experiences that have paid quite well. So, the driver in terms of <clears throat> what fun is, can I make a difference? Do I enjoy associating with the people connected with it? Can I help deliver real value, whether that's mentoring a CEO or helping a board grow or helping drive change in a uh, in a company? Fun for me is being able to make a difference and and drive value creation, whatever that might be. That might be something that's very charitable in which there's you know no money attached to it, or something that's potentially uh, quite en enriching and you know you know it, whatever it is. It depends on the circumstance. Let's let's take it away from finance, from money, because you became an actor quite late in life. How did that how did that come about? Uh, you shared a little bit about that story, but I think our our listeners would really like to hear how did Randall Miles end up on Billions? It, quite accidentally. Um, I, it, in fact, I, it, it's it's a it, it's kind of a funny story, and and frankly, there are occasions when I choose not to tell it around people who have. Uh, worked a lifetime um, honing their craft, taking acting lessons and training and all the stuff that they've done and auditioning, uh, because for me, it it came quite accidentally. Um, several years ago, when I decided to um, change a few things up, uh, meaning give up the day-to-day -day operation of my firm, um, uh, retain the, the chair role, but it freed up a little bit of my time. And, and my wife said to me, so... It's not like you're going to play golf every day. What are you going to do with your time? And I, I jokingly said, well, maybe I'll try politics or acting, um, which was just an off the cuff joking comment. And <laughs> one of my sons laughed so hard, he damn near fell out of his chair and uh, made me a bet that I couldn't act. And uh, through a couple of connections, managed to, uh, to get on screen simply for the purpose of winning the bet, um, thinking I would never do it again, um, had never had the desire, had never had the training. And uh, one thing led to another. I got a call to do this, and I got a call to do that, and I got a call to do something else. And along the way, and I think I was working on the set of The uh, the Sinner with Jessica Biel and uh, Bill Pullman, and the uh, assistant director said, you know, you'd be great for a show like Billions. Can I introduce you to, uh, can I introduce you to the guys? So that turned into a combination of things that include an on-camera role, some technical consulting, 
some stand-in work and other consultations. So that's kind of how Billions came about. But uh, there have been commercials, there have been movies, there have been other television shows. And uh, I mean, don't blink because you might miss me in any one of those. Uh, but it's been fun and a great education to be a part of it. And it's now led to uh, getting involved in production where I have a couple of executive producer credits uh, to my name and in the midst of working on another project as we speak as a uh, executive producer. Very cool. And I think you're one of the coolest cats I know. So I <laughs> appreciate that. You can't know too many people, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, along the way, in in throwing some of those things out, did you not doubt, like, were you not doubting that? And I, and I have a thought on doubt. So doubt to me is, is not something I shouldn't do, but it's just a speed bump or a reason for me to pause, but it's still something very positive I need to keep moving forward with. And a lot of people have doubt that comes into their, their life, their mind, and they just shut it down because they go, well, I'm doubting this. So they just shut down. But I think it's just uh, a way that God says, hey, I want you to recognize this. I want you to slow down just so you don't either miss something mm -hmm. or you don't miss the experience. But in saying, hey, uh, I'm going to try acting. Did you ever doubt yourself? And what was that like jumping onto that first set? Did I doubt myself? I think the direct answer is is no. I think having reached a point in, in life where I'm, I'm otherwise well cared for. It's a great opportunity to try something new, mm -hmm. uh, keep things fresh. Um, you know, and some, I know, uh, one guy that went back to get an architectural degree in his fifties. <clears throat> I know other people that have done similar things. And I think, you know, one of the great, you know, fortunes in life is to be able to get to a point where you can try something new that you haven't been, that you haven't done before. Mm -hmm. It might be a passion or in my case was quite accidental. And I say, hey, well, that sounds, kind of fun. It'd be kind of nice to learn about something I have no experience with. So in that context, there wasn't any any doubt. Um, and I will tell you one of the things I often tell groups of young people if I'm speaking in a university or something like that. And, you know, sometimes you'll hear others begrudge the luck that some have had along the way. And, and let's face it, luck and star alignment does play a, a role in our lives. Um, but the truth of it is, my belief has always been that you need to have some kind of vision. Often life doesn't necessarily work out the way we want it to or might have hoped. But if you don't have something that call it a vision or something you'd really like to do, it does cause you from time to time to miss, to go back to what you said a moment ago, opportunities that were sometimes presented with. So my own view is if you're kind of open to the world around you, life presents you with opportunities along the way. But if you've never thought about kind of where you want to go, sometimes those things show up and go right past you and you never notice. Sometimes life circumstance doesn't allow you to take advantage of those, whether you've got family commitments or, you know, you can't afford to drop everything to try something new that, you know, half the pay or no pay or whatever else it might be, right? Um, but if you've never thought about kind of where you want to go, sometimes those things show up and go right past you and you never notice. Uh, and the pause then or the doubt about what I should do, if you've recognized what it is you'd like to accomplish in life and you're presented with an opportunity, you have an opportunity to think about it in the context of, you know, that doubt, is this the right time? Is this right for my family? Is this right for my circumstance? Or is this something that's a great jumping off point that 
I'm at a place and a time where I can afford to take the risk that comes along with doing that. Um, so I, I think that's a bigger answer to your question as it related specifically to the acting, because for me, that was, it was, it was easy. I mean, in the context of I could do it and, and fail and it wouldn't matter. Right. It would still be good cocktail party fodder. Right. Um, and you know, what I found was acting, we're all salespeople in one way or another, right. In most of the jobs that we do. So every, so, every moment is a sales moment. And you're an actor, you work with customers, you work with vendors, you work with other things. Sometimes you've got to, you know, put on a persona where you're a little ticked off about something, or you've got to get through a tough day and still present a smile and a happy face. So we're all actors. And the and the distinction then I would say is your comfort doing that in front of people who are scrutinizing you uh, and with cameras stuck in your face. Um, but having been a, an athlete growing up and into college, uh, you know, if you can stand on a free throw line with people yelling and screaming and not worry about it, or stand on a golf tee and people are lining the fairways and and tune all of that stuff out, then you can be in front of a camera and 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 act. Um, but I tell you, I, I don't want to oversimplify it because again, if you blink, you'll miss me. There are people who are extraordinary actors who are who have done an extraordinary amount of training to be really good at their craft. And I'm fortunate to have worked with some of those people and to see what real acting is. I mean, for me, Randy, it's doctor, lawyer, judge, politician, banker, right? I don't really have to act. I'm an old guy, still has hair. Not many people have seen my face in that context. So I can be on camera a few minutes, uh, utter a couple of lines and, and you know, it, it's all fine and well. The people who really do it and really train for it are, are quite accomplished. Um, so I don't want to be frivolous, frivolous uh, mm -hmm. with respect to my own experiences. It's been great fun, and I've met lots of great people. Um, but uh, like I said, there are people who are really good at it and deserve the accolades they get. Yeah, you know, so true. I often say that uh, our day-to-day -day life is just improv. We're we're just acting, and we're just on a stage that's filled with improv. And the yeah. better that we can handle that improv, the better we'll do in life. Uh, whether it be sales or even interpersonal life. So, so well shared there. Um, crucible moments. I mean, we all have these crazy crucible moments and some of them probably have, are, are painful. I have some painful crucible moments that really shaped and formed who I am today. Would never give them up today. Mm -hmm. In the moment I was going, why me? Oh, why me? But uh, any of them that would come to the surface for you that would kind of lead us to hearing a little bit about your story and what shaped and formed you. Yeah. You know, and I think it's, it's a great point because uh, we all are a product of our experiences. And as you point out, some of them are, are painful, mm -hmm. um, but we wouldn't be where we are. We wouldn't have the life experience we had if we hadn't learned how to get through some of those things. Uh, one of the things that I think from a career standpoint was really meaningful for me. And I was a young guy who was working for, uh, the first Boston Corporation before it became Credit Suisse. And uh, we were in the midst of preparing a very large presentation to a group of about 100 bank CEOs. And uh, and I'm I'm a junior guy. I'm a vice president. I'm, you know, so I'm, you know, doing the uh, the, the grunt work. And uh, so day of presentation. Randall comes. doing grunt work? <laughs> and the, the day of pre presentation comes and... Um, uh, in a car and 
pull up in front of my boss's house to pick him up on the way to the airport. And he walks out in his bathrobe and is just heaving in the driveway. I mean, he is beyond sick. He looks horrible. He smells horrible. I mean, it's just, it's bad. And says, I can't do this. We can't cancel it. He hands me a folder and said, you've done the work. Good luck. Turns around, walks back and that's, mm. um, and so I'm kind of, you know, dumbstruck for, for a moment trying to, you know, it's the, it's the, the, the fight or flight kind of a thing. And flight is sounding pretty good right now. Uh, so I'm in the car going to the airport uh, and I haven't told my, uh, my other colleague yet. And this is in the days before cell phones. And I get to the airport and I tell her and, 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 and she's in tears. And, you know, the practical effect is we both think we're going to get fired over this whole thing. And that was probably the, the, the very real prospect. And, you know, I'm on the flight on the way up and I thought, you know, look, I know more about what I'm talking, what I need to talk about than anybody else in the room. Cause I've prepared all this stuff and it's a relatively new thing, uh, which is why all these guys are there. And I said, you know, look, I've got one, I'm, I'm getting fired anyway. So I might as well just own this. And um, I've got to go in with confidence and own it and, and do it. So I get there and, and uh, mentioned it to the guy who had organized this conference, and he immediately left. He 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 left the 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 hotel ballroom where we were having this thing. Walked out of the building. I don't know whether he went home, went to his office, but he wanted no part of being there because you've got this, you know, you know, greenhorn young guy who's now going to address you know a lot of recognizable names. And so I got up there and I thought I'm just going to own this. And, and I did it and, you know, spoke for 45 minutes or so and took about 20 minutes worth of questions and stayed as long as anybody had anything to talk about. We ended up doing a lot of business as a result of it and, uh, and, and, and got a nice promotion and a nice bonus and all that kind of stuff that, uh, that went along with it. And the lesson there for many and for, for me and what I've tried to impart for others and what I've tried to impart to my kids and my oldest son has a very good example of it is you know, we're all presented with all kinds of things that aren't, that are less than perfect circumstances, right? We can't mm -hmm. orchestrate that. Um, but you have to own whatever the circumstance is, do the very best you can do. If you're prepared, it makes a hell of a lot of difference. Um, and it's okay to say, I don't know. If you truly don't know something, you don't have to fudge it, right? But at the end of the day, you need to own it. And, and you know, there've been a couple of other places along the way that I could relate to in a very similar way where it was just, I just had to own what it was good, bad, or indifferent and figure out what the right path was. You know, and for me, it was an enormous confidence builder, enormous launching yeah. pad. When I think of word confidence, uh, I think the true, the true definition of confidence for me anyways, is fear coupled with courage, you know, because we move forward with confidence, but without a healthy dose of fear because you know because fear drives you to be better at least it drives me to be better motivates me it's my friend if i embrace it and then of course to be courageous it's like a muscle just kind of always working that to me is the definition of confidence uh in the truest state i don't know if you if you see it that way or not but uh well the good news as you get as you get older and you'll appreciate it when you get to be my age randy as you get older, I mean, the, the fear thing plays less of a role because you've just you've had enough life experiences that it's less mm -hmm. about fear in the sense that you're not worried about failing. Yeah, you're not worried about looking like an idiot in front of a crowd or whatever else it might be. Right. But you've got something that you can draw upon that is is in some way analogous 
that tamps down whatever you might be nervous about or whatever the doubt might be. And then you own it, right? For better or for worse, you own it. Then it doesn't always work out the way you'd like it to, right? Um, but it's important. I mean, it's the same reason uh, the, the, the sports analogy, right? I mean, before kickoff and you've got butterflies in your stomach, that's a good thing, right? Yes. It makes you, it makes you focused. It makes you better able to deliver your, your very best. Excellent. Excellent response. You, uh, you talk about, you know, time has a way of changing you as far as, you know, today, if you're far less, what about leadership? How has leadership changed from those early days in Seattle to uh, moving across the country to New York and where you're at today, how was leadership or your definition of leadership or how you've changed your leadership style and skill over the years? You know, I think um, one, I, I, I love that question asked of anybody, right? Because people's impression of, of leadership or their ability to be leaders or their confidence as leaders, or more importantly, how other people perceive you as a leader is 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 pretty important. Um, you know, and we've all done like the 360 reviews. And, you know, it's interesting to see what qualities other people see in you um, versus suggestions for improvement for, <laughs> for, you know, one way to describe it. But, you know, for, for me, I think it's it's clear and it's it's the way I've run organizations. It's the way I've seen the best organizations run. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges for any leader, whether you are um, running a large company, a small company, uh, a group of Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts, or pick something, it really doesn't much matter. But I'll, 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 I'll talk about it in commercial terms. The degree to which the challenge for any leader in this context is trying to get people to act like owners, employees to act like owners. Mm. And some would be surprised when I suggest that it isn't about whether or not they are actually physical owners or not, meaning stockholders or there's an ESOP or whatever else it might be. But I think it's about clarity of purpose and I think it's about transparency. Transparency in the sense that that people understand at every level how what they do every day contributes to the success of the organization. And to the extent that you can convey that in terms that people understand in ways that is continually reinforced and that people are encouraged not just to contribute in the context of, of higher production levels, but to contribute in the context of challenging the organization to do better. I like the management teams and the boards I've formed, for example, uh, I form for the specific purpose of, of avoiding violent agreement and wanting to have constructed debate around the right course of action. It's okay if we don't all agree. And sometimes as a leader, you have to unilaterally just make a decision, popular, unpopular, doesn't make a difference. It just has to be done. But the degree to which we can constructively debate, I think makes for better organizations. I think makes for more effective leadership. I think allows leaders to groom others to become better leaders, to go off and do other things and lead those organizations. So that's, for me, that's a big part of leadership. Wow, profound. That is one of the best definitions of leadership I've heard in a long time. So, well, thank you so much for sharing that. That, Listeners, rewind that. You want to hear <laughs> that again. And I think the piece that was so 
important, I think, for us is healthy debate. If we can have healthy debate, not only in our boardrooms, but in society, how different would this world look instead of you against I or us against you? Just have healthy debate and understand each other. Uh, really, if, really appreciate that. If I can interject there, because I, th I think that's a great statement, Randy. I mean, and I'll use Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill as examples who couldn't be more opposite from a political perspective, but still mm -hmm. found time to sit around with a beer and talk about those differences and figure out solutions that they could craft that didn't mean that there was an obvious winner. They might've both been losers, right? But yes. the people were winners. And I think the current, where we are in society currently is it's it's all or none. I I win, I stomp on your neck and, and, and there's no sense of, trying to get things done for the people. Nothing drives me more nuts than a politician of either party saying, well, the American people want. Well, the hmm. American people are pretty bitterly divided on just about everything right now, 50-50, right? Mm -hmm. So to talk about what the American people want, unless it's prefaced by what the American people want is for us to talk to one another, to sit down in the same room and work through issues, to compromise and come up with practical solutions that can be implemented and stand the test of time, then I don't buy the argument. Well, maybe if we all took some ownership in our country, countries, that would change. That would change. It would be nice. I yes. think we're long overdue. Hmm. You know, there's this, uh, this concept of baking and cooking. Baking and cooking, they seem to be or appear to be the same. They're both done in the kitchen. Yet baking is kind of like science to me. Anyways, you know, you got to put the exact right ingredients in, then you bake it, then you see, hmm, how was that? We're cooking, you can kind of wing it along the way. Oh, let's add a little bit of this, we need a little bit more of that. Let's put this and put that in. Um, what, is, what has been your life? Has it been around the baking concept or the cooking concept where you've been kind of just, as it comes, I'll figure it out. Or do you have a calculated way of where you're going and, and where you want to be? Yeah, the question is all the more interesting because I've got two sons who are chefs, one of which is quite well known, and a daughter-in-law who's a baker. Oh, um, wow. Okay, so, so, so this is uh, this is a pretty clear question. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, you know, I'm going to discourage them from listening to this podcast because any analogy I'll probably get wrong. Um, you know, this goes back to our earlier conversation about having some kind of a vision, right? Um, and if if we use the cooking analogy, whether you're cooking or you're baking, if you don't know that you want to end up with chicken parm or baked Alaska or whatever else, all you're doing is playing for little purpose, right? And maybe it's fun. You test some different stuff. That's that's okay. But if you don't have some idea that, okay, I'm going to cook for four people, let's start with that. And therefore, I need an appetizer, I need a, a wine pairing, I need a, a an entree, I need a dessert. If you don't start with that and kind of back up from there, you don't have purpose around what it is you're trying to do, right? And for, for me, I'm a little bit weird. I will tell you, it goes back to junior high. Um, and in junior high, uh, I felt, I knew, I was going to say, I don't know that I knew anything, but I felt that I wanted to do a few things. I wanted to work on Wall Street, not mm -hmm. saying the fact that at the time I probably really didn't understand 
or know what that really was. Probably thought it meant being a, a stockbroker. Uh, I wanted to play D1 college football. And I wanted to be CEO, CEO of a publicly traded company. Now that's at, at 12 years old. And it's in part wow. because I had a, 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 an instructor who was teaching us things like finance and economics and stuff like that, that I, that I, I really, really liked. So I was able to do all of those things, not because I put a plan together to accomplish them, mm-hmm. but going back to my earlier story about being open to life's experiences, when crossroads presented themselves, it was easier for me to say, okay, well, this kind of leads me in this direction or closer to it. And therefore I have a different thought process around it. So um, I don't know that I've done a great job of answering your question uh, apart from, you know, it's all a combination of cooking and baking, I guess, but for me, it all, it always starts with, okay, what's the objective? Right. And within that context, you can do a lot of things and take a lot of different paths to to get there. And, and I will tell you, even when I'm making presentations or or even giving speeches and the like, I, you know, a lot of people will, will say, hey, look, here's a, a 20 page deck as an example of your page through the deck, whatever. I give people the answer first. I start with the conclusion. One, it stops people from searching through the pages or stops their mind wandering while you're talking about wondering where where you're going to go and where you're going to end up. So if I was delivering a presentation, Randy, I would give you the answer first. This is the conclusion. And then Mm -hmm. I'll go back and reinforce that through for however long the presentation is in terms of developing the framework that leads to that. But it starts with then where are we going? So I've already given you the destination. And I think it just makes for me is kind of a, a life process. It's, um, it's added clarity along the way. Not that everything has worked out along the way. There's certainly been some stumbles, um, but even the stumbles have been directionally correct, even if it didn't work out. You know, uh, at a young age, 12, you already knew or had a good cha- a good idea of where you're heading. And so a question I often ask is, you know, do you know your gifts? And when did you know your gifts? And here you are at 12 already saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to go. Um, pretty incredible when I think of that. I, I had no idea at 12 what I was going to be or what I was going to do. So I really, uh, really appreciate how you put that. And I would say you're more of a baker at that point because you're putting this all into place already and out on the road to make that work. So fantastic. What do you see to this? It, it's, it's good to be standing in the right place at the right time when lightning strikes on occasion. So. Well, yeah, and and being in the right room with the right people at the right time, I guess that's really what it, what what happens. And so you've put yourself in the right rooms of the right people along the way, and uh, good things happen. And that's the well, you know, and I think that's great advice for for young people. And to some degree, it's becoming something of a lost art, mm-hmm. right? In this digital world where people interface physically mm-hmm. less frequently than in the past, do not know or aren't as adept at handling conflict, which is a natural part of life, certainly a natural part of business. There is a missed opportunity, right, in not having that skill set from a networking standpoint, then it becoming something of a less lost art, putting yourself in the room with the right people, aligning yourself in ways that you can, can learn.
and and let me tell you a couple of quick stories if we have have time that maybe mm -hmm. illustrate that a bit. One of the best hires I've ever made. Uh, it went in um, and to 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 run this firm. Uh, it was a boutique investment bank, and uh, we had an analyst position that was opening up. And I'd asked a, a couple of the guys to you know put together a process, and so they were going to send out the same normal job description, right? I said, "Whoa, time out! Why aren't we starting with do we even need the job? And if we do, what does that job need to look like? And let's just start a discipline that reevaluates this, you know, anytime something comes up." Anyway, so they over-interviewed a, uh, uh, excuse me, over-engineered a, a, a process. Uh, and long story short, after, you know, going out to universities and ads and that kind of thing, we, in lots of uh, telephone interviews, we selected six people um, to come in, three on successive days, um, to come in to spend a little time with their competition, to judge their ability to handle the stress uh, what their social skills might be, uh, ask them to do uh, a couple of things um, in addition to the one-on-one -on -one interviews through the day and stuff like that, right? Uh, we we were going to have a uh, <clears throat> a financial analysis for them, which was frankly really, really hard. I didn't do it because I was afraid I might not get better than about a 75% on it, but it was really hard. Um, uh, but these kids, and it was a combination of kids coming out of school with graduate degrees, people with one or two years real world experience at analysts and major firms and the like. And, um, and the other thing we were going to have them do is to make a presentation uh, about a particular industry that at the time was relatively nascent. I think there was only one publicly traded company in the space at the time. Um, and, uh, and we were going to give them, they couldn't come with anything, right? We told them, we're going to ask you a question about this industry, but we're not, we didn't tell them what the question was. We we're going to give them then 45 minutes to prepare a presentation. And, uh, so a couple of them just whiffed, um, a couple of them hit singles. Uh, one person actually did not a bad job, but it was less about what they knew than they just had incredible ability to articulate and 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 present they were a great mm -hmm. actor uh and the and the this one guy just hit the cover off the ball it may still be running for all i know and you know i and i said at the end of this so okay so who do you know in this industry that you're able to get all of this information because well i don't know anybody but i you know i i found a couple of reports I called and, you know, pled poor college student. Um, so I got these $1,500 reports for free. Hmm. Uh, and then I called every CEO, every res research analyst, every reporter, everybody that was quoted, mentioned, or anything else. Surprisingly, about half the people gave him airtime. Uh, and he was able to pick their their brains. So here, th this was a kid who had drive, uh, who wasn't afraid to tackle something new who had a skill set that allowed him to sell himself to these people. And he just did an extraordinary job of, of over delivering and understanding what the task was. Um, and, you know, I don't see that a lot in young people today. Yeah. You know, great point. Uh, you know, you can say, why not me or why not me? Right. And, uh, and I, I see that far too often. So, so I, I guess my question is then, why you, Randall? Why you? What uh, what what came along that that made you the opportunity or gave you the opportunity? Uh, I mean, I often ask myself that as well. Why not me? 
And uh, people ask, well, why you? You know, so. You know, I'm afraid to ask myself that question because the answer might be, oops, there was a mistake somewhere along the way, and it really shouldn't have been you. Uh, <laughs> well, I think success leaves clues. Yeah, you know, it's you know, it's an interesting question, and and one I think you could spend, you know, many a light a late night talking about, right? And mm -hmm. I don't know that I have a great answer other than knowing along the way that I was building a set of experiences mm -hmm. that I felt were going to make me better at everything I did, whether they were good experiences, bad experiences, troubling, you know, or, or I got accolades for it didn't ma much matter in the context of I'm in this place in my life now where, where someone asked me recently, all the stuff you've done, you've been, you know, on all sides of, uh, of the deal table, you've acted, you've done all the stuff you've, you know, whatever what was the most fun? Mm. The most fun is what I do now because I can take all of those experiences and I can work with small companies, large companies, boards, CEOs, whatever, to help add value to what it is they're trying to do. So for me, maybe the why me, it's because the fun of this is that I can give something. And again, it's not totally altruistic. I mean, let's just be, I'm getting paid to do that kind of stuff, right? But but that it's the fun of it to me, to be to be part of some, building something. Um, and, you know, you mentioned DXP earlier, which is which is how we first became uh, acquainted. And 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 I met Glenn Sanford, who's the, the, the founder of EXP, going back probably 13 years ago, um, when EXP in its present form was a long way from existing. And Glenn had a handful of agents working with them at the time. Um, and we had met through another person and he talked about what his vision was. I probably spent two hours telling him what, you know, that he was freaking nuts. There was no way that was ever going to happen. Um, and he refined that over the years and we kept in touch. And I came into the company in 2016 uh, as vice chairman. I, I am vice chairman of the company. I chair the the, the audit committee and, and and the like. And we did that year $20 million-ish in mm -hmm. revenue. Uh, and we're not profitable. Um, and we're on the cusp of maybe not even making it another few weeks. And we have built this extraordinary company uh, that has experienced extraordinary growth, almost $5 billion in revenue in 2022. Uh, we are the largest market cap in our in our peer group. Uh, we are the only ones in our peer group without any debt. Uh, we have a versatile business model that doesn't saddle us with high infrastructure costs like buildings and and uh, and that kind of thing. Uh, we're the only one of our peer group in Q1, for example, of 2023 that reported positive earnings. Um, and it's been remarkable to be part of such a high growth situation. Uh, where we've seen, um, where we've had to bring in a lot of people, where we've had to, you know, define and redefine what we were trying to achieve along the way, all while trying to maintain this very high growth rate, right? So there were challenges every day. That's fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we'd achieved half of it, it would still be fun. So those are the kinds of things I like to do and, you know, the kind of companies I work with in terms of of trying to help create value around it. Well, thank you so much for being such a positive influence on Glenn and creating this because I'm an agent owner, a shareholder just like you, and uh, just absolutely love 
EXP. Um, what is, if I can stay with EXP, is there something that could limit our success from your perspective? And, um, you know, it seems like we're fairly bulletproof at this point, but, you know, the moment you think you're bulletproof, you're not. So uh, is there something that you think that, you know, in any business, what, what yeah. limits, you know, businesses from having, you know, extraordinary success? Yeah, I preach this in every on every board that I'm that I'm on. Uh, I've got a uh, a day long board meeting on on Thursday with uh, not with EXP with another company, and and the entire day is devoted to what's next. Notwithstanding the fact that we're a holding company, we've got very successful businesses, uh, every one of them. But it's it's what's what's next, and I don't believe that that any business is ever bulletproof. Mm -hmm. As somebody is, and, and EXP is a good example, right? We've got an extraordinary model that's that's outperformed our competition significantly. Um, and, you know, while they say imitation is the best form of flattery, it does create competition, right? So you can be insular in your thinking in the context of, well, we've got this fully baked, right? The, the business model is bulletproof. and But the truth of it is, unless you aren't, iterating around what comes next what do the next three to five plus years look like who's going to come after us and how how is the environment going to change macroeconomically or regulatorily or whatever else it might be might need to be what do we need to do differently than what it is we do today to ensure that we can continue to to lead so i'm very much a proponent of reevaluating all of your business units on an annual basis for their relevancy in the context of what do we need to do to maintain our position or what do we need to do to defend against XYZ who's an up and comer mm -hmm. and has real prospects or ABC who has a few billion dollars that they're, you know, throwing at something and how does that impact our business? So, so, you know, for me, it's all about, I mean, solve what you have to do day to day to do the business that we're doing, but achieving a broader base vision in the context of remaining relevant for the long term such that the value you've delivered to your shareholders today is sustainable and continue to grow, I think is our fiduciary responsibility in terms of the way I view my responsibility as a board member. And thank you for doing that. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Hey, well, let's, uh, let, let's move away from business a little bit. Um, who is Randall in the quiet? Who are you in the quiet? You know, assuming my wife will ever allow me to have quiet, um, <laughs> I, I, I mean that affectionately. I mean, she is, she's, she's always got something going on. She's really, really high energy, and you've met her. Yes, and she's and she's great. Um, I'm not afraid of quiet. I like quiet. Mm. For me, it's an opportunity to recalibrate. My best hours are, are when I wake up the early. You know, I, and I wake up at 5, 5.30. So the first few hours of the day that aren't encumbered by phone calls or whatever are, are my best thinking time. Um, and so I really do value that. Uh, I learned a long time ago that best for me is to um, try to compartmentalize to a degree that I could go to bed. Try to do the right thing the right way for the right reason so you can look yourself in the mirror. It helps, right? But sleep is important. Exercise is important, maintaining your health physically, intellectually, and and that sort of thing. So, so for me, I enjoy our family time, enjoy travel, 
Uh, business is never far away because you always have something that you have to do. But I think that balance in life, creating balance and maintaining balance in your life makes you better at all of those things. And getting so um, so bogged down with any one thing that you can't see outside of that box, I think sooner or later kind of wrecks, you, wrecks your vision, wrecks your view, you become less effective, and it gives you less to draw upon. So quiet time for me is regaining and retaining and, and building, you know, a broad perspective, do the fun things I like to do, play golf or run, hang out with, you know, my family, whatever else it might be. Um, anyway, that's, that's what's what downtime looks for me. Awesome, awesome stuff. Let's close out with a little bit of a speed round. <laughs> oh no. A little speed round. Um, we'll, we'll keep it. We'll keep it pretty uh pretty pretty vanilla. But okay. uh you've got an opportunity to go out for a fine meal with your wife, takeout, or a dinner in the Hamptons on the beach in your home. Dinner Hamptons on the beach at our home. Awesome. I need an invite. Preferably with friends and family and, and everybody included. But uh, when you talk about, you know, the kind of quiet time and downtime and, 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 you know, whether it's socially or business, I mean, we're out a lot and we yeah. go to great places and I've got, as I said, you know, kids who are, who are, are chefs and that provides access in and of itself. Mm. I mean, I, I'm, I, I love. Doesn't get any better than that. Home and throw it on the barbecue. And yeah, just, uh, just arrived home from being in San Antonio, as I said, and I, just love we have a, a a view we're on the ocean here in the pacific and i just love sitting on the deck and just taking it in and the quietness of that and it's amazing how two three hours just disappears yeah in that moment it's yeah. uh, pretty magical it's like staring into a fireplace or a fish tank in terms of you know it can all kind of you know dissolve around you right on favorite band oh geez boy that's a great question i yeah because I have such diverse interests. I would say my favorite band goes right back to the Beatles because mm. so much even of what you hear today is extracted from some of the things that uh, that they did. So true. And it's and it's and it stood the test of time. Yeah. Audible or book? Book. Book. Why book? Um I like and I'm as digital as anybody else with phones and iPads and computers and, and whatever the case. I like the feel of a book in my hands, spending the time with it. I read a lot when I was a kid. I've continued to 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 read a lot. That for me, that's just it's it's a great way to relax. I don't like the feeling of you know, listening to a book when I'm driving, for example, I'd rather listen to music while I'm driving or be on the phone and, you know, work, whatever. Right. But if I've got a book in my hands, that's downtime. Favorite thing you like to do, let your hair down. What do you do? I don't like being on the golf course is what I like to do. I just, you know, whether it's for pleasure or for business, you've got a captive audience, you're out there for three and a half or, or four hours on the course and a lunch or whatever that is. And it's relaxing. I, you know, I don't let my hair down much. So it's not a great question to ask of, of me as my wife would tell you, um, <laughs> you know, she might not use the boring word, but you know, I'm not going to be a life of the party, but I, that's, I like playing golf. 
So if we're talking golf, would you rather go out with uh, with with three individuals that you know, or just end up being the fourth in a group? Oh, you know, I like them both. I think one of the great things about a sport like golf, and it's not limited to that, is, and 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 we'll do this when we might travel um, to some place where it's a golf course, and you know, my wife likes to sleep in a little bit. I'll get up and go and go and, you know, latch on to somebody else and, you know, meet three people I've never met before. And I like that. That's fun. Yeah. I've met some of the most interesting people just uh, walking on a, onto a golf course and just saying, I'm, I'm a single and okay, you're going to be with these three and some of the most interesting people. Yeah. 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 It's fantastic. Yeah. You see, and you hear some interesting things sometimes, but uh, I, I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. Last question, trick question. If you were a scratch and sniff sticker, Randall, a scratch and sniff sticker, what would you be? Oh my God. <laughs> would it be, would it be a, a, a bag of money? Would it be a, um, for me, I'll give you a little bit of time to think on it because it's a bit of a trick question. Um, I love being at the beach. My wife, Jolie and I, we just were beach people. I kite surf, as you know. So for me, it's a pina colada with sea breeze. I like that. And, and and I guess my answer is not altogether that dissimilar, but it would be something fresh like the sea, the beach, the that is is soothing and relaxing. So it's probably that 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 salt air. Yes. That uh, that you 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 feel around the beach. Uh, that's awesome. Great answer. Well, Randall, thank you so much for being a great guest here on Return on Life podcast. Uh, so many great takeaways. Love the leadership piece. So again, thank you for joining me. And I'm sure our listeners are going to just really, really appreciate this segment of Return on Life. Thank you, Randall. Randy, thank you. I appreciate being invited. Take care. Thank you.